today on Not Sam Wrestling Tribal Combat is official. Does a major title change need to happen at SummerSlam? What is the future for MJF and Adam Cole, at least in the immediate sense? This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host, from New York, here is Sam Roberts. And here we go. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. 457B. It's a rare B week. Yes. Love a good B week. Means more of me, more of us, together. Yep. Surprise. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. What did you think? Did you think just because we put up an incredible interview with Cody Rhodes on Monday that I was going to be able to stay away from you guys? I don't think so. We've got too much to cover in this world of professional wrestling. So uh, welcome to the show. We do have a lot to talk about. A lot of uh, big pay-per-view and premium live event implications are coming up and we'll get to all of them. Um, of course, when it comes to SummerSlam, I've got to mention that if you're going to be there, not only uh, has an incredible card shaped up for the big show at Ford Field, but only about a block away from Ford Field on Saturday, August 5th at 5 p.m., right before SummerSlam, not Sam Wrestling Live. Come to the live podcast right before SummerSlam. The greatest tailgate party you'll find anywhere. You can get your tickets at NotSamLive.com. We will be at the Detroit House of Comedy, 5 p.m. on SummerSlam Saturday, August 5th. Google it if you don't believe me. A block away from Ford Field, so just get there a little early. Get your parking spot. Come on over to the Detroit House of Comedy. Enjoy a live Not Sam Wrestling show, and then do whatever you got to do. NotSamLive.com is the place to get tickets for that. Uh, I got to thank uh, uh, Cody Rhodes, of course, for an incredible interview. Uh, we did that interview at the premiere of the American Nightmare Becoming Cody Rhodes documentary. It was pointed out to me, hey, why didn't they call it Cody Rhodes Becoming the American Nightmare? Well, watch the film. Maybe you'll pick up on something. Uh, it was a great event, uh, but I, I would like to say this. If you listen to that interview or, or have seen any of the clips that we've posted on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel, one of the big things to come out of it was the debate as to whether or not Matt Cardona is a pecker checker. And while Matt has sat in the not Sam studio on this show and said that he is not. And now Cody has been on this show and said he's not, but yeah, you know, I want to tell you this right now. This has to be on the record. Matt Cardona, of course, formerly known as Zack Ryder, broski, uh, the host of the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. I'm in the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast Facebook group, okay? One of the great things that they did for those of us lucky enough to attend the Cody Rhodes premiere was we got to go home with a, with a small little gift bag, a nice thank you for attending. It was a, 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 a small 
kind of eight by 10 size of the documentary poster signed by Cody Rhodes. And it was a nice uh, Cody Rhodes American Nightmare tumbler, you know, to have a drink in. Uh, the tackiest, most disgraceful thing that I have ever seen, Matt Cardona himself, who was at the premiere, and God willing, we will have uh, our interview that we did with Busted Open uh, on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel, available soon. Matt Cardona, not only did he take extra gift bags from the Cody premiere, his best friend Cody Rhodes took extra gift bags, but then he went on his Facebook group and sold them to his listeners for $100 a piece. I mean, garbage of all garbage. Can you imagine your friends, let's say it's a wedding, whatever it is. Can you imagine going to your friend's event? You get a gift bag and an autograph from your friend at his day. And within, I mean, within hours of the event, that evening, I woke up the next morning and saw the evidence. They were sold. Cardona was selling multiple bags at $100 a piece. Now, I have no qualms with anybody who bought them. I think that's a great souvenir to have, but the idea... You know, they go, they go, wrestling is in a much better spot right now because there's not uh, so much of the toxic behavior going on in the locker room. And that's true. You know, it, it went so far overboard back in the day. The gatekeepers were too much. The idea that you couldn't be a wrestling fan that has graduated into a superstar, it's absurd. And I'm glad that that's all changed. But maybe it's gone too far. When professionals can show up at other professionals events and sell their gift bags insane <laughs> but a lot of stuff uh happened uh, uh over this last week that was insane and that's why we are here with uh, a bonus podcast not just for the not sam shows at patreon.com slash not sam wrestling but a bonus podcast for you because uh we've got to talk about what's going on in this world of pro wrestling you know i'm i'm, I'm watching uh AEW Dynamite and Collision trying to figure it out. They would talk about a, a soft uh, roster split going on uh, when Collision started, but two superstars that have not uh, abided by that soft split, Adam Cole and MJF, arguably the hottest act in the world of wrestling. Um, I've heard really the only people naysaying this act are kind of uh, haters, as it were, because objectively, if you watch what's going on, everything's working, people are talking about it, and it's a hot act, you know? The story started with Adam Cole and MJF having a great, well, I guess a promo built to a match, right? And I've always said, one of the problems that AEW has is coming to terms with the fact that matches, while an inevitability, are not what's going to bring people to the dance. There has to be a match eventually, but just a show full of good matches is something that hardcore wrestling fans are like, but you got, you got to have moments. It's all, it's, it's, it's moments and stories. Stories are the things that are going to get people who haven't watched wrestling in forever to tune in again, you know? When you look at why a place like the WWE is all of a sudden selling out, the fact is, and we talked about it with Cody a little bit in the interview when he said that, look, one of the 
best parts about having this documentary out is that a lot of WWE fans don't know the history. And that's not because they're blind to everything else. It's because they just started watching for the first time in a long time. We're at a spot where we have new wrestling fans. And you weren't hearing about that back, uh, for the last several years. So I, I truly believe that if I'm sitting there explaining to a friend who hasn't watched why they should turn it on, the bloodline's an easy sell. Cody Rhodes, Brock Lesnar, easy sells, right? The Judgment Day, Dominic and Rhea, easy sell. Great matches, not as easy a sell. CM Punk returning in general, easy sell. MJF and Adam Cole, to me, easy sell. It starts with the promo where they where they uh, uh, go back to real life history and and MJF. I, I I like that MJF is his character is this person that because he's a heel, you know he's over it. He doesn't like wrestling. He's just not impressed by any of it. But the foundation of it is that he grew up a giant wrestling fan. Really, MJF at his core is like. Uh, uh, the guy who the kid who wants to hang out with the Incredibles, but the Incredibles won't let him hang out, so he becomes this heel, right? The Incredibles, we all seen it. That's MJF, and it leads to a match early on. And you're going, well, Sam, you just said matches aren't what it is. Well, what we didn't know when we were watching MJF Adam Cole was not only do we have this great, what was it, a 30 minute draw? I want to say or something like that. I don't know what it was, but it was a great match, is what it was. I don't remember. I think it was a draw, but. The key to it was that it built the foundation for the story that we now have. And the question is, where are we going with MJF and Adam Cole? They got the hot selling t-shirt. They got everything. So where are we going with it? You know, it started with the sort of uh, blind tag tournament where people were put together and MJF and Adam Cole were put together as a tag team. MJF all of a sudden changed his tune, started acting nice to Adam Cole. We've seen this before with MJF, but he hasn't let up. Adam Cole, he's, he's worn him down and worn him down and worn him down to the point where Adam Cole goes, you know what, Max, maybe you're not so bad. And, and MJF hasn't changed his ways necessarily, but he's going, you know what, Adam, maybe we have more in common than I thought we did. And maybe that little kid that was an Adam Cole Ring of Honor fan is starting to sprout up in young Maxwell. So now we get to this point as we head to Collision this week where it's MJF and Adam Cole have made it all the way to the finals of the tag team tournament versus FTR. Now, when we're considering where should this go, there, there are several factors. Number one, I think that this is going even better than they could have expected it to go that maybe if the original plan was just for this to be a short thing to split and then lead to a pay-per-view match, that, hey, maybe we didn't realize how big this was going to be, right? Maybe we do put the tag team championship on MJF and Adam Cole because fans are responding to it. And, and that's something that I think AEW really needs to capitalize on. Unless fans are going to respond as big, if not bigger, to whatever the swerve is that is not them winning the tag team championship. But I think even more importantly is the timing of it all. And by that, I mean the fact that coming up at the end of August, we've theoretically got two pay-per-views. It hasn't been made a 
official official, I don't think. But all signs point to the fact that All In in Wembley Stadium is the last weekend in August, and it looks like that's going to be a pay-per-view. All Out in Chicago is the first weekend in September, as always, and that is going to be a pay-per-view. So we may end up in a scenario where we've got a pay-per-view a week after a pay-per-view. So what is the move here? The only precedent in recent memory, of course, you know, there's a couple, right? You could go to Tuesday in Texas when in 1991, the WWE put on the Survivor Series, which would have been on a Wednesday night because it was the night before Thanksgiving. And then they announced out of the blue that there would be another pay-per-view the following Tuesday, Tuesday in Texas, six days after Survivor Series. Uh, I think that Bruce Pritchard has said on his podcast that the reason that that show existed was to experiment with the idea of doing Tuesday pay-per-views. But realistically, it's not... And we saw that with Taboo Tuesday years and years later. Um, but I think that more than it being on a Tuesday is the fact that it was on, you know, six days after a pay-per-view just happened. So what do you do? You have to set up angles that are pay-per-view worthy because what you don't want to do is have the first pay-per-view be devalued in any way. But you do want to have people saying we need to go buy, watch another pay-per-view a week from now to see how this pans out. So in that scenario, it was Hogan and Undertaker. The ending was kind of a schmoz, but importantly, the Undertaker won the title. It wasn't like, what if we just schmoz the ending and then we have the real match at Tuesday in Texas? That could never work because then you're like, well, why did I buy a Survivor Series if the only match that counts is Tuesday in Texas? So they had the Undertaker win the title Except because there was chicanery and Hogan doesn't lose, President Jack Tunney said Hogan gets a rematch at the closest possible date, which is this Tuesday in Texas. They also uh, did an angle where the big where 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 the main event of the show was the big heel team versus the big babyface team. Jake the Snake Roberts was on the heel team. The big boss man was on the babyface team. Uh, I believe it was the big boss man and. They did a deal where uh, Jake the Snake Roberts bit Macho Man Randy, had his snake, not Jake, Jake's snake, bit the Macho Man Randy Savage as the Macho Man was trying to get reinstated after losing his career-ending match at WrestleMania 7 against the Ultimate Warrior. So Jack Tunney responded to the snake bite by saying, Jake the Snake Roberts has been suspended temporarily. The Macho Man Randy Savage is going to be reinstated. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Jake the Snake Roberts out of this main event of Survivor Series. So instead of it being four on four, it'll be three on three. The big boss man will be taken out of the babyface team to keep it even at three and three. So we still get the big match with the big superstars. But Jake Roberts is taken out of this match. The Macho Man is being reinstated and we are getting Macho Man versus Jake the Snake Roberts at Tuesday in Texas. That's how they make, tried to make that work. And, in, you know, I don't, I ultimately, I don't, you know, 
I don't know that it worked for me, although it did give us The Undertaker winning his first WWE championship by beating Hulk Hogan only a year after he had debuted. The most recent memory we have of this is 2020. Payback was only a week after SummerSlam. Now, this is a little different because they're not selling tickets because they're in the Thunderdome and they're on Peacock. So they're not selling pay-per-views either. But still, you can't, even if you're not making pay-per-view money, you can't devalue these pay-per-views because it's such a, pre, the premium live event is such an important part of the brand. So how do they get you to tune in to Payback only a week after SummerSlam? At SummerSlam, they give you a finish with Bray Wyatt, I think, walking out as champion. And then right after the match, Roman Reigns returns. So you get the finish, right? You, you it's, it's tough if you don't get the finish. You get the finish, but then Roman returns and you immediately have to see where it goes next. You have one episode of TV. You expose the fact that Paul Heyman is with Roman Reigns. Now I have to tune in two days later at Payback to see Roman Reigns get his opportunity at the WWE Championship in a triple threat against Bray and Braun Strowman. So the question is, how do we take this angle, take it to all in, in a way that will take us to all out? To me, there's two ways to do it, right? You have to keep in mind, we still have three or four weeks before all in. So if we're going to blow up Adam Cole and MJF at collision this week, we have to keep it hot enough over the next three weeks that that's the match that main events all in. Because what you could do is have the tag team blow up, right, on collision. Either MJF turns on Adam Cole or vice versa. If you're going to do it on collision, I'm not sure that's the, the, the move is... I don't think the move right now is to have MJF turn babyface on collision of all places, especially right now. Um... But if you did have MJF turn on Adam Cole, then you would go to all in with the main event of Adam Cole versus MJF. You would have to, absolutely have to, unless you've got a big return, you would have to have Adam Cole win the championship at all in in Wembley Stadium and then have MJF get his return match at all out. That's possible. You could also, the other scenario, which I think makes a little more sense, is Adam Cole and MJF win the tag team championship at collision. Then they go and they have a rematch with FTR and tear the house down at uh, All In. They lose. That's when MJF turns on Adam Cole. You get the reaction of, of 80,000 people who can't believe this has happened, or vice versa. Adam Cole turns on MJF. People can't believe what's happened because now, I mean, it's 80,000 people. Talk about a reaction, and that leads you right to MJF versus Adam Cole for the world title at All Out. The third thing that you could do is you could have... How do you get here, right? 
Because the idea would be that you have Adam Cole versus MJF in Wembley. And CM Punk gets involved. And it leads to MJF versus CM Punk. But in order to do that, you have to, like, I feel like you need to have a turn happen at Wembley. There are some people that think that you need to have the world title defended in Wembley Stadium. I don't think that that's true. I think that in modern day professional wrestling, WWE, AEW, New Japan, it doesn't matter. In modern day professional wrestling, having the hottest story headline the show is always going to be the most important thing. Roman Reigns, has he defended the title since WrestleMania? He literally went and headlined Night of Champions without defending the WWE's top title. And nobody cared because it was a hot, hot angle. It was the Usos finally turning on Roman Reigns. Yeah, right? Because he wasn't at Backlash. Night of Champions was the Usos' turn. Yeah, and then Money in the Bank was the 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 Civil War. So Roman Reigns didn't headline Money in the Bank either, and they were in the UK for Money in the Bank, and he didn't defend the title. But the Usos versus Solo and Roman was the biggest match you could possibly do. So I don't personally think, I don't care if you have 500,000 people at Wembley Stadium. If the bigger match is FTR versus MJF and Adam Cole, especially if you're going to end with a hot angle, that's the match that you main event with. Um, I, I kind of feel like the move might be to kind of have MJF declared as a babyface at Wembley have CM Punk somehow get involved and turn on him in Wembley Stadium and then do CM Punk as a heel versus MJF as a babyface at All Out in Chicago. Because CM Punk, but CM Punk would have to be such a heel that he got booed in Chicago, which would be a lot of fun if he could get there, but he would have to get there. And I mean, I think that that he's got to be on his way. You know, I turned on Collision this week and... I thought it was a great move to set up because uh, I've been saying since the beginning, right? That sometimes it's okay to announce a main event, but a lot of times it's better to not announce a main event. I When CM Punk first showed up, when they announced the first main event of Collision is that, you know, uh, six-man tag with FTR and Samoa Joe, I thought it would have been so much, and the Bullet Club, I thought it would have been so much better if they didn't announce that, they just announced CM Punk was coming back and then he cut a promo and then we get to that match. So we tune in for the promo and then in the promo, we find out, oh my God, we're getting a match, the main event tonight with Joe and FTR and Punk and the Bullet Club. That's exactly what happened on Collision this week. A, a, a great promo setting up Punk and Darby versus Ricky Starks and Christian as the main event for the show. I loved it. I loved it. We advertise the aftermath of Starks and Punk. The aftermath happens and it leads to the main event. It makes you feel like the show is alive, that the show is moving, that not everything has been pre-planned. But all that said, I don't know why they went for 30 minutes. 
At one point in that match, well, you hear one half of the crowd chanting Section 5, Section 5, and the rest of the crowd chanting F, Section 5, F, Section 5. That's because the crowd got bored because there was no reason that that tag match, and that's not a discredit to anybody involved because I like every person in that match. But there is no reason for that tag match to be 30 minutes. That's a 12-minute match. And end it with an angle. You know, I, I don't think I'm the only one calling for a CM Punk heel turn at this point. You want CM Punk, or CM Punk, I should say, wants to honor Bret the Hitman Hart? CM Punk spent so much time in his first AEW run doing Bret Hart tributes. Why don't we tribute Bret Hart the right way? And why don't we make CM Punk into 97 Bret Hart? Just bitching and moaning about the state of the industry, about the fact that he's not respected, about the fact that he's getting screwed. That's the, that there's an undercurrent. People feel that about CM Punk. I think that, that if you're not going to get any fallout from the brawl out uh, 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 media scrum, which it's okay if you don't. I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, complicated factors in there that I don't think we can pretend to understand. At least pay it off by making CM Punk's character an offshoot of what happened. I love that they referenced the red bag again because I was about to ask what the heck happened to that red bag. But walking around, pretending that you're the champion, being mad about Ricky Starks, who's like this amazing, young, up-and-comer future of the business, thinking, you know, I'm a collision guy. I'm not even supposed to be here. Getting booed in Canada, like, it's all there for you, even if you want to go full Bret Hart and have CM Punk get cheered in Chicago and nowhere else. But even when he gets cheered, the the, the feeling, the vibe that I get is that it would not be tough to get the audience to boo him. I think that there is a desire to boo CM Punk right now in the most healthy and best possible way. I think fans want to buy a ticket and go to a show and boo CM Punk for the first time since the Straight Edge Society. I think people want to boo CM Punk right now. They want him to be a top star. They want him in the ring. He adds to the show, but they want to boo him. Let's give the people what they want. Let's let them boo CM Punk. Speaking of booing, how about the fact that Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley are the hottest act in the company right now? The Judgment Day is something that 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 at some point I want to write. I want to do a TED talk about the Judgment Day. I want to teach a class about the Judgment Day. The Judgment Day is wrestling. The Judgment Day. You talk about an act that was not built to succeed, that were put in a corner and said, look, if it's going to work, it better work now. Otherwise, we're going to cut bait. And then, boom, it's off to the races, and they're the hottest act aside from the bloodline in the company. You have the blood. I mean, look, it's crazy right now in WWE. You got the bloodline. You got Cody Rhodes. You got Brock Lesnar. You got the Judgment Day. You got all the Seth Rollins. You got all this stuff. But realistically speaking, the bloodline I mean, realistically speaking, the Judgment Day was not in a position to succeed. When the Judgment Day showed up, people found them generally confusing. Didn't quite know what to make of the Judgment Day. When they made the switch between Finn Balor and Edge so quickly, it made it so the Judgment Day lost even more of their identity. What the hell are they doing then? 
Who is the judgment day? What is the judgment day? And then all of a sudden, Finn Balor got to be the prince again. Finn Balor got to be the heel that he has, I think, always wanted to be and always should be. Damian Priest got to, like, put on display how multifaceted he is and 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 how he's ready to step into that spot. Rhea Ripley realizes every ounce of potential that everybody claimed that she had. Do you realize there was a time where people were like, I don't know if Rhea Ripley's gonna work on the main roster. And now, come on. And then Dominic shows up and every perceived weakness that he had as a baby face has become a strength as Dom Dom. As dirty, dirty Dominic. And you're left with a scenario where, watch these shows, okay? Tell me a show that the Judgment Day is not the biggest part of. I'll wait. Raw, NXT, SmackDown, Raw, NXT. I would imagine they'll show up on SmackDown this week, and then we got a week of shows before SummerSlam where they're going to have a big part on the show. I mean, Finn Balor's getting the title shot and the whole world is talking about the wrestling world anyway. I mean, you know, it's not like the whole wrestling world is talking about what's going to happen between Finn Balor and Damian Priest. And that's a big question, right? I mean, it's it's been really interesting with the Judgment Day, not just because they're doing so incredibly well, not just because every arena that Dominic goes into, dude, I'm sitting there at, at the San Diego Comic-Con panel for Mattel. Um, we mentioned Dominic and the panel crowd started booing. He wasn't there. We mentioned him. They booed his action figure. Nicholas was there. Remember little Nicholas who won the tag team championship with Braun Strowman at WrestleMania? What was it? 35? He was there. He's like six foot seven now. He's a giant. But he was there because Mattel announced they were making an, a Nicholas action figure. And me and Johnny Gargano, we asked the crowd who would win in a Mattel action figure fight between eight-year-old Dominic, because eight-year-old Dominic got an action figure, and little tag team champion Nicholas. And they started chanting Nicholas. Eight-year-old Dominic gets booed, bro. Eight-year-old Dominic. He was beloved. His paternity was decided in a ladder match. He is a child of professional wrestling. We love professional wrestling. And, and prison Dom, dirty Dom, is such a heel that he's gotten us to boo the child version of himself that we grew up watching. Last week on Raw, it kind of looked like the Judgment Day were on the same page. And then this week on Raw, it's two steps forward, one step back. That tension just existing between Finn Balor and Damian Priest. WWE loves the little details all of a sudden. You've got the same kind of tension between Roman and Solo, which we'll get into. But Finn Balor, as the person who wants to claim what's his, something that he's been waiting for, he's got a seven-year itch. He wants to make Seth Rollins a seven-year bitch. I heard it on Raw. And Damian Priest, with the briefcase, is so hungry for his own glory that he not only threatens to take the title, but to either take it off of Finn or steal Finn's moment against Seth Rollins. 
looking at how hot the Judgment Day is, looking at Rhea Ripley with the Women's Championship, Dominic Mysterio with the NXT North American Championship that he's holding on every single show on television. As much as I'm not a quick title change guy, I would advocate strongly for Seth Rollins to lose the WWE Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam. And I would think that the move would be to put it on Priest. You could put it on Balor, but I think that the I think you you got to bite the bullet on this one. I think that that as hot as the Judgment Day is, and as much reaction as every single member of that faction is getting, I think if you want to continue to tell the story of the Judgment Day, the story is this: that Finn Balor is the leader of that faction, and he's also the only person without a title. I think that Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins is a knockdown dragout. I think it's a five-star classic. I think at the very end, when Finn Balor has Seth beaten, he is outside the ring for whatever reason. Damian Priest cashes in, and Damian Priest pins Seth Rollins to become the WWE champion. I think... Seth Rollins can then, I don't know if he wants to go away for a bit. I don't know if he wants to stick around. But now you've got a beef between Damian Priest and Seth Rollins because now you've got a baby face that can chase Damian Priest and are, it is a real threat, by the way, to Damian Priest. If we're going to our next pay-per-view, if we're going to payback, what better situation for payback than Seth Rollins trying to get his title back by paying back Damian Priest? Damian Priest says, Seth Rollins, who are you to complain? I did exactly what you did. You know how I know that you would have done it? Because you did it. This is the heist of the century. I beat you for your own title. And while Damian Priest is bragging about how he took the title from Seth Rollins, while the Judgment Day is all decked out in gold, head to toe, on Monday Night Raw, on the surface, Finn Balor is with them, going, look at my group. Damian Priest comes in because key here, Damian Priest didn't pin Finn Balor. Damian Priest pinned Seth Rollins. So he took the moment from Finn Balor, but he didn't actually do anything to Finn Balor, right? So on the surface, Finn Balor is happy for his teammate is and Dominic and Rhea and Damian Priest are all saying, it's all good, bro. We got the title in the Judgment Day. That's the point, getting the title in the Judgment Day. And maybe Damian Priest says, you know, something like it at the press conference. He goes, he goes, well, you know, lots of things happen. We saw it happen with Finn Balor last month. Wanted to make sure that the title came home to the Judgment Day, so I went out and grabbed it. And you go, Ooh, that's a little, that's, that's, a, that's a little snug. Huh? That's a little bit of a snug comment there, Damian. But now Finn Balor is in this position where he has to just suck it up, right? On the surface, he's talking about how great the Judgment Day is but you can see behind his eyes, he is harboring a deep, deep resentment toward Damian Priest. And maybe that shows itself through Finn Balor 
costing Damian Priest a match against Seth Rollins. Maybe that shows itself with Finn Balor turning on Damian Priest, but the rest of the Judgment Day turning on Finn Balor, and then Finn Balor chases Damian Priest for the title, right? We could Damian Priest versus Seth Rollins, Damian Priest versus Finn Balor. Now we're building opponents for that title. And even if that title exchanges hands three times this year, well, three times, you know, in the first 365 days, you know, it could go from Seth Rollins to Damian Priest to Finn Balor and then have one more Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins match, you know, and head towards WrestleMania with Seth Rollins either having the title back or having to beat Finn Balor for the title. I just think that there's a lot there right now and SummerSlam might be a real good opportunity to swap that heavyweight title, give it some life, and see what you can do with Damian Priest as champion while he's got the support of the Judgment Day, one of the hottest acts in the company, behind him. I think it could be real, real good. Um, I'll tell you what was real, real good was the the tribal combat, right? So the 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 contract signing between Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. Uh, you all know how much I love the bloodline, how fond I am of the whole story. So uh, you are still having these moments of Solo Sokoa flirting with wanting that top spot, the way Solo Sokoa looks at the red ceremonial lay that, uh, that, that says who the tribal chief is. At one point, it's the same lay that Umaga wore. It's been, it's been passed around generations and generations. But it's interesting because we get to the contract signing, right? And Jey Uso tore up the contract and said that this is tribal combat, right? And Roman says, do the elders know about this? And Jay says, it was the elders' idea. It's anything goes, and the winner gets that red necklace. The tribal, the, the you know the the lay. The winner is the tribal chief. The way Roman put the lay on top of the championship, obviously the in, in indication, the inference, is that the winner of this match will get the tribal chief lay as well as the WWE Universal Championship, and this is key to everybody that goes. You could have had Jay and Roman without the title. The title is directly connected to the idea of being the head of the table. What, are you going to lose the title and still call yourself the head of the table? No, the champion is the top guy. How are you? I mean, the whole point is that Roman is not just the best Samoan. He's the best wrestler. He's not just the number one guy in the Anawaii family. He's the number one guy in the company, and he represents the Anawaii family, and that's why he's so important. You, this match doesn't work. Without the title and without Jay getting the first pinfall victory over Roman Reigns. Now, I thought it was fantastic when Roman called him Little Jay. Because it goes back to the old days, right? Jay's a younger guy. They grew up as kids together. Roman's still, he's a cousin, but he's got that big brother mentality. And it's very uh, 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 minimizing, very minimizing towards Jay Uso. Loved that. I do question, right? There was a there was the dramatic embrace. There was Roman asking about the elders and Jay saying that the elders, it was the elders' idea. Explaining this is anything goes, you know, no holes barred, winner is the champ. There was after the embrace, 
Solo goes for Jey Uso and Jey kicks Solo in the face. And Roman is in shock, presumably not just because Jey Uso kicked Solo, but because the rules of tribal combat were broken. That's the way I took it. Um, I do wonder, and, and, and the bloodline has built up so much storytelling stock that it's not a big deal. It's really okay. But to me, the bloodline story is at its strongest when it's based in pure reality. I think the reason that the bloodline story has captured the imagination of so many people watching is because we can relate to Sami Zayn and his struggles through getting accepted, then having his morals pushed to the point that he could no longer be a part of this group and then having to find himself as an individual again. We can relate and empathize and sympathize watching Jey Uso for the last three years be emotionally tortured, emotionally damaged by Roman Reigns. The manipulation, the, the, the constant need to prove himself. The fact that Paul Heyman, who is an outsider, but has been associated with the Samoan family even longer than some of the people in the Samoan family have, has as much influence as he does, right? These are all things that we can relate to on some level. But what we can't relate to is the idea that there actually is this presiding body of elders and and tribal combat and tribal law that everybody's abiding by. Like I I, I don't I don't know how much further I'd like to see the idea of this lore being added into it. Because I think that it's stronger if we just keep it real. If we just keep it in this place where like Jay wants to be, Jay's got he's got so much ambition and so much ability. And it's just gotten so much better and has, and has captured the hearts of the WWE universe, but has this, this egomaniacal, narcissistic monster in his family that com not only commands every ounce of attention that anybody has for the NOIE family, but also demands all of that attention. And that as long as he is alive, and he's made that clear, your purpose will be to hold up the platform that he stands upon because that's what's best for the family. All of that stuff is real life and relatable. But as close-knit as the Roberts family is, we don't have a presiding body of elders and rules of Roberts family tribal combat. I think that it's a fine line I don't think they've crossed the line yet, but I think we got to be very, very careful walking into this thing. It's interesting because technically this match would favor Roman, right? If Jimmy Uso is, is hospitalized and not going to be at SummerSlam, then the idea of anything goes, I mean, how did Roman beat Cody at WrestleMania? The interference of Solo Sokoa. So if it's anything goes, then why doesn't Solo Sokoa just pound the you-know-what out of Jey Uso, and then Roman goes in and pins him. I don't know. 
it'll be interesting to see uh, how it all pans out. But man, am I locked in. I am still glued to the TV set for every single, every single Bloodline segment that we get. Can't wait for the next one. Um, before we get to emails, let's 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 do some of these news and notes. Um, uh, I thought uh, Logan Paul and Ricochet were magic on Raw. Uh, I I think uh, you talk about, you know, say what you want about Logan Paul, but he's a massive star. He as a villain uh, fits into this world, um, and. Anyone, he, he's always going to be in a key position in a big match on any show that he's on. So this is a big opportunity for Ricochet. And not only has he showed up, in my opinion, Ricochet, in my opinion, this scenario was built to elevate Ricochet. And Ricochet has brought it with him to the point that he is now elevating Logan Paul. I think Logan Paul displaying his ability to sell for someone like Ricochet is making him come across as better in this world than he was before. Uh, and 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 it takes two to tango, you know? And, and we're at a point where I think, generally, the fan base is enthusiastic and really anticipating this Logan Paul Ricochet match at SummerSlam, which is hats off to both those guys because they're telling a hell of a story leading up to, to this premium live event. Um, shout out to Corey Graves. That Ludwig Kaiser impression on Raw was just unreal. Absolutely unreal. I don't know what happened. I don't know if something snapped in Corey Graves. I don't know if Corey Graves just decided, screw it, this is what we're doing now. But uh, I support it. In every way humanly possible. More Corey Graves as Ludwig Kaiser. Um, and then also, uh, uh, I do want to say, you know, I, I, I did a segment last week talking about what I thought they should do with uh, L.A. Knight. Um, and... I, I, I got so much positive feedback on it. 100,000 views. Uh, we made a clip of it. 100,000 views on Instagram. 100,000 views on TikTok. You know, more. And everybody, you know, for the, I mean, some people debating, which is healthy, and I love that. You know, some people going, no, this isn't what you do with him. You blah, blah. I mean, there are people who are going like, nope, don't change anything. Do LA Knight exactly as he's been. Well, if you do exactly what you have been doing, you'll probably end up in the exact same spot. But yeah, uh, yeah. I guess uh, we're not getting there immediately. I was uh, very entertained by the amount of people watching SmackDown going, what? When LA Knight did not win that fatal four-way. Maybe we got ahead of ourselves. Maybe we got too excited. But um, I still think my scenario for LA Knight that I pitched last week, if you missed it, go back and listen and or watch last week's episode. Uh, I still think that scenario is the scenario to go with 1,000%. Uh and who knows, you know, they haven't announced when the United States Championship match is actually going to happen. Maybe you do Santos versus Ray. Santos, I think, should win against Ray. You do Santos versus Theory uh, on SmackDown before SummerSlam. And then you do Theory versus, you could still do Theory versus LA Knight at SummerSlam if you really wanted to. Or Santos versus LA Knight at SummerSlam if you really wanted to. Whatever you want to do. I mean, my whole thing was built for 
LA Knight to have a match with Austin Theory as his big babyface come out, but you could have Austin Theory beat Santos and then turn babyface the next Friday on SmackDown. You, I'm, I'm just like grasping at straws here. You could still save it. You could still save it. Whatever, dude. WWE knows what they're doing at this point. Uh, I think that today, right now, that's not that debatable. So I'll trust him, you know, and we will probably talk about this on next week's show. I'm disgusted that there's even a conversation about whether or not wrestling is hot right now. You know, that's being debated, whether or not wrestling is hot right now. I'm going to save that. Oh, I also, uh, wrestling, is wrestling hot? It's coming next week. And yeah, uh, I was going to talk a little about Bray Wyatt. I think I can wait. Bray Wyatt coming next week. I got some stuff to talk about with Bray Wyatt next week. Hey, we got a pay-per-view this weekend also, premium live event, NXT Great American Bash. I will be hosting the kickoff show starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday on Peacock and WWE's YouTube channel. There's going to be a match on it, but, uh, you know, you got some big matches on this premium live event. Uh, a couple of women's matches. Uh, you have, uh, you know, uh, the world title. Ilya Dragunov versus uh, Carmelo Hayes, which is going to be great. But the one that I'm looking forward to is Gable Steveson. His first match, a lot of speculation. Is he going to go back to the NCAA? Is he going to try to win another championship? Is he going to try to win another gold medal? Nope. He's taking his, he's got a gold medal. He's holding on to it. And he's entering in to this professional wrestling world. We're finally going to see Gable Steveson's first match. And it's going to be against Baron Corbin. And God, do I want to see Baron Corbin win. I mean, I don't... God, do I want to see Baron Corbin win. We'll see. We'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about it on uh, on Monday, I'm sure. But before we get there, before we get to next week, let's stick with this week and let's get to your emails. You want to send an email, send it to notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, and let's go through some of these. Enzo says, sup, Sam? Dirty Dom Dom is possibly the hottest thing in the WWE right now, correct? I was just talking about it. That being said, uh, the Judgment Day split seems to be on the horizon. Uh, Rhea and Dom, the hottest couple in the industry, eventually done correctly, which is what WWE has been doing thus far. Could you see Dominic holding the IC title or the U.S. title? Thoughts? Well, potentially, but I don't think it's necessary. I think it was real smart to put the North American Championship on Dom. I think that both, I think the United States Championship should go on LA Knight. I think that the Intercontinental Championship has been elevated quite a lot by Mr. Gunther. And uh, I think that, I mean, you know, all due respect, the title is something different on Dirty Dom. He's just, uh, Dirty Dom's a gimmick, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I think that the North American title from NXT is the way to go for now. And I hope that Rhea and Dom do not break up and I honestly, I hope Damian Priest stays with him. You know, I think Finn Balor should be the odd man out there. Um, Adam, within the next decade, can you see another WWE pay-per-view getting the two-night treatment? No. Uh, if it did, it would be SummerSlam. I mean, I theoretically, you could do Royal Rumble, right? Because you have two Royal Rumble matches. But, I mean, I think SummerSlam has got to be considered the second biggest pay-per-view of the year. So, if you, if, yeah, uh, if you were forced at gunpoint, one more, what would it be? For me, I, initially, I think SummerSlam, but I feel Royal Rumble could stand a benefit. Okay, so we're on the same page, Adam. Um, 
I I think technically in terms of match order, you know, having two nights of Royal Rumble with a Royal Rumble on each night would probably work better. But in terms of like selling tickets and being a draw and people watching, I think SummerSlam is definitely the second biggest show of the year. So I think I think if you're gonna build another show into a two night event, it would have to be SummerSlam. Uh also the time difference, right? Royal Rumble is January, February, March, and then April. April, May, June, July, and then August for SummerSlam. So I don't know if you want to stack both of those two night events up in the first, you know, just in the first half of the year, right? Um Alec, Alec. Uh, hi, Sam. I've been a huge fan of the podcast and have been listening to your interview with Bray Wyatt in 2016. Hey. Oh, since listening to that. Yep. I was watching SmackDown this past week when Apollo Crews, Apollo, came on screen. I had literally forgotten that he even drafted to SmackDown from NXT. This begs the question, why draft him from NXT if you had no plans for him on SmackDown? Additionally, do you think there are any other superstars on the main roster that would benefit uh, from being drafted to NXT right now? Um... I don't know. I, you know, I, I think that sure. Anybody that's not doing something actively on the main roster could go to NXT and I think find something. Um, I, you know, I, I think that there's, I, I think that it's better if to draft somebody to SmackDown because you, you will have something for them. Like Apollo had already done his NXT run. He'd done everything to do in NXT. So keeping him in NXT, there's no reason to. You're ready for him to come back to the main roster. You're ready. There, there will be something for him. I'd far prefer him be off TV until it's time than just to be put on TV and do nothing for the sake of being put on TV. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, ben, with two N's, I've never seen that before in my life. I wanted to get your thoughts on WWE's Invasion pay-per-view. Uh, I think the show gets overlooked due to its fans generally being underwhelmed, disappointed at how the Invasion angles played out. Uh, I might have my nostalgia goggles on, but I really love this card, particularly RVD versus Jeff Hardy hardcore title match. Look, I think that uh, as a pay-per-view, Invasion is cool, but I think that because the premise was we're finally getting WWE versus WCW, and there, it's it's two reasons why, to me, it doesn't work. The idea that we're finally getting WWE versus WCW, this is not the payoff, right? This sucks. And... I think that was the show that we started combining all the titles, which got really, really complicated. So there was just too much going on and not enough payoff. And that's why I think ultimately it didn't succeed. But as just like a card, as just a show to watch, yeah, I don't have any, I don't, it's not a bad show to watch. It's just story-wise, it's a mess. So, and I'm a story guy. Uh, John, long-time listener since your intern days. My guy, on Blood and Guts, Adam Cole and MJF did a skit at the Kowloon restaurant. This is widely known as a wrestler hotspot. John Cena wore Kowloon shoes at WrestleMania against Austin Theory. Uh, are there other wrestler hotspots around the country? Uh, well, there's, uh, that Japanese steakhouse. What's, uh, uh, Ribera, you know, uh, in Japan that all the wrestlers have jackets from. Um, I think there's a steakhouse here in New York. I mean, I don't want to reveal, I guess, any wrestler hotspots 
that aren't public knowledge, right? Because then you'll go. So, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know if there's anything as famous as Ribera and Kowloon. Um, along those lines, I'd recommend you have James Stewart on the podcast. He is the Boston Sam Roberts, a good friend and the owner of the Kowloon. Oh, I would talk to him. That'd be cool. Um, okay, this is. Uh, Sam, I hope you're doing well. I wanted to talk to you about something that's been bothering me lately, WWE's decisions concerning LA Knight. Okay. LA Knight has shown incredible... I already did a whole thing about LA Knight, dude. The ongoing bloodline story has a lot of potential and it can be further without rushing it. I'm not suggesting bringing The Rock back into the mix as that might be a little unrealistic. However, I think Roman should hold the title for an extended period and solo... Man, come on, dude. If you've been looking at the podcast as long, watching the podcast as long as you've been watching the podcast, you should know that sending me, you did like all the things. Your email's too long. You're talking about multiple things in it. And you're talking about stuff that I've already talked about. I don't want to be rude. But come on, man. Come on, man. All right, Martin. I started watching the WWE last summer. Uh, see, that's what I'm talking about. Last summer, this guy started watching, and now he's listening to Not Sam Wrestling. This show is for the hardcores, okay? Anybody that doesn't watch wrestling on the reg is, like, watching this show going, why the hell is this guy taking it so seriously? This guy's a lunatic. But my man, Martin, just started last summer, and he's already at the Not Sam Wrestling phase of fandom. That's incredible. Uh, which era is worth watching more? Oh, I love this collection. Oh, this question. The golden era, 1982 to 1993, or the ruthless aggression era, 2002 to 2008? That's a great, great question. Um, first of all, I will probably limit your scope of the golden era. I would say the golden era is more 1980, you start at WrestleMania 1. I get why you had started at 82, I guess, but really, no. Hogan won the title in 83? 83, 84, something like that? It's certainly not... I mean, to watch before Hogan won the title is, like, probably more history than you're ready to do. I would love to do it with you, but, like, I think, really, WrestleMania 1 to WrestleMania 8... I think post-WrestleMania 8 is more the new generation. So the beginning of 92 is where you would kind of stop. But I would I would actually say that for the purposes of what you're doing now, I would say the Ruthless Aggression era. I think that, that we as wrestling fans have to do a better job of embracing what's going on now and not what we grew up with. I think that that you need to watch every era, uh, uh, Martin. You need to be abreast of what's going on. But if you're going to start, right? If you're going to start watching an era right now, I think it's the ruthless aggression era because you will see the foundation of some of the superstars that we have today. Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, John Cena. Speaking of John Cena, some of the legends that are going to be returning today, Right? The John Cena's, the Batista's, these guys. Uh, uh, the 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 ruthless aggression era. You'll see the evolution part of Triple H. You see, there there's so much imp 
important stuff. And also the ruthless aggression era is really when that more athletic style becomes mainstreamed, you know, getting into uh, what was going on on SmackDown. You know, you'll you'll get to see the rise of Eddie Guerrero in WWE, the rise of Rey Mysterio in WWE. There's a lot there. And I think that, it, that the Ruthless Aggression era is more essential to the foundation of what we're seeing today than the Golden Era. I think you go back and watch the Golden Era, but I would do Ruthless Aggression era first for sure. Uh, Kyle, Sam, I have an idea for how to book Randy Orton's return. Oh, you son of a bitch. Just, ki just kidding. Oh, you got me. My question, which championship title design is better in your opinion, the Big Eagle or the World Heavyweight Championship 2002? I, okay, to the, yeah, I love the World Heavyweight Championship 2002. That's my personal preference. So the Big Eagle title, to make sure that we're all on the same page, is the Attitude Era WWE Championship. It's the big circle plate that Triple H wore. It's the one that uh, was the WWE hat when, when Chris Jericho became the first undisputed championship. These are the two belts, right? He had the WCW Big Gold on, and he had the WWE Big Eagle on. So I like the Big Eagle, but when the World Heavyweight Championship came out in 2002, it was the Big Gold, except the plate was more curved and and, and kind of, uh, uh, and, 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 and it looked newer. It also had the WWE logo on top. Uh, I really like that version of the big gold. It's not the classic, but I like that they tweaked it slightly, but only ever so slightly. I I, I would go 2002 World Heavyweight Championship. Um. Hey, love your podcast. Two short questions. Good. Which side of the debate are you on? Which promo package is better? Ooh, Stone Cold versus Rock WrestleMania 17 or Daniel Bryan versus Authority, WrestleMania 30, My Way versus Monster, and what is a pay-per-view you love but everyone hates? Mine is WrestleMania 29. Uh, mine would be WrestleMania 9, actually. I love WrestleMania 9, and some people think that it's the worst WrestleMania of all time. I think that I would pick My Way over Monster. Uh, Monster, that Monster video package is amazing, Daniel Bryan versus Authority, but I don't know, just something about it's Stone Cold in the Rock. They're at the height of their fame. It's Limp Biscuit. It's it's the height of that uh, late 90s going into the early 2000s. It's just, I feel like everything about the Attitude Era, like that is peak Attitude Era, and that is peak Attitude Era late 90s culture. And I'm a sucker for all that. So I'm going to go uh, uh, my way. Uh, Ultra Boy's chiming in. I decided to speculate on what could potentially... Uh, hypothetically happen if uh, if big if uh, the unlikely scenario Jey Uso beats Ro I, all right I'm not gonna do this one I love you buddy but I'm not gonna do this one uh, Avery uh, hey Sam I hope you get this email in time I just want to let you know what era WWE WCW WWF LA Knight fits perfectly in the 80s the attitude era the ruthless aggression era or the PG era um so I think I don't think he could hang in the Attitude Era. Uh, the 80s, I think he's too ahead of his time to be in the 80s. I think he could do real... I, I, I think he's too edgy for the... I think the Ruthless... Again, I'm going back to the Ruthless Aggression Era. I think he'd do awesome in the Ruthless Aggression Era. I think he's doing great now. I think he would 
also do awesome in the Ruthless Aggression era. I think, yeah. The idea of LA Knight versus John Cena in the Ruthless Aggression era, that could be great. I think he'd do awesome. Oh, I love this question. Jake, thoughts on Blue Kane? I'm so glad you asked. This is the future of the industry. Blue Kane is like my favorite wrestler right now. He's like Kane except blue. It's like imagine if, if Kane had like Glacier's entrance and he came out in blue. It'd be sick. I'm really hoping we get Blue Kane versus Matt Cardona at some point. I'd love to see Blue Kane end up on in WWE or AEW. I think Blue Kane is the bee's knees. Blue Kane rules. And everybody should know that. Uh... Hey, Sam, David, uh, Davey says, uh, first crack at submitting a question. Good luck. Good luck. My question is, where the hell is JD McDonough? I was so excited when he was drafted to Raw. Yep, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think that that's a good question. I feel like they were planning on breaking up the Judgment Day earlier and decided not to. And so JD McDonough's on the back burner. Um, I could see JD McDonough joining up with Finn Balor later like after SummerSlam if Finn Balor is thrown out of the Judgment Day I could see JD McDonough teaming with Finn Balor and going to Damian Priest and Dom Dom versus Finn Balor and JD McDonough maybe I could kind of see Finn Balor getting thrown out of the Judgment Day JD McDonough teaming with Finn Balor against the Judgment Day and then JD McDonough turning on Finn Balor to join the Judgment Day I love J.D. McDonough as a psycho heel. I'm a big J.D. McDonough guy, so good question. Uh, uh, Alfred from Mexico, my man, mi hombre. I'm writing you from Mexico. I grew up in Texas, and as a Mexican redneck, I love my wrestling. I grew up as a big Von Erich fan. I love it. Gra uh, gravitated WWF, Hogan, Macho, HBK, love it. Uh, the Bloodline story is awesome. But there is also a hidden storyline uh, that is more than a year in the making. The Dominic Mysterio storyline should end with him accepting the mantle of Rey Mysterio, uh, the third, and will also be the last time we see his face. What do you think about that? Man, you know, uh, new fans want immediate satisfaction, like they want Cody Rhodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also have another quick question that comes from when you were on Stone Cold's podcast. Do you still only eat fried chicken, or has it changed now that you got kids? No, it's gotten worse, man. No. Because my kids love chicken nuggets. I love chicken nuggets. We're good. We just get a ton of chicken nuggets when we go to McDonald's. Um, I would have agreed with you a year ago on Dominic. I I, I would have 100% said, put a mask on Dominic, make him the new Ray. I would have agreed with you. However, Dominic has just gotten so incredibly hot in the last, you know, uh, nine months. And... I, I would say since he went to jail, right? Since he started attacking his dad. The WrestleMania match was so great. He lost to his dad and hasn't lost an ounce of steam. I just think that that he's too good on his own. He's finally found a way to pave his own path. You know, he sprinkles in shout-outs to Eddie Guerrero with the fringe on his tights. I think that he'll always pay tribute to his dad. But I think Dom Dom is paving uh, his own path. And while the uh, carrying on of the lineage is very, very important uh, tradition in Lucha, 
right? This is something that, that Santos did. This is something that Ray himself did with his uncle. This is something that many, many people have done. I mean, how many Vianos did we have, for God's sake? Uh, I think in WWE and in America, it's just a different thing. Like, Ray didn't even keep the junior when he came over to WWE because they wanted him to stand out on his own. So I, 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 I also think Dominic is a very different wrestler than Rey Mysterio, right? We, we, Rey Mysterio is, is like one of the greatest of all time and is the greatest of all time for a specific reason. Like what he did with his size and his moveset made him so unique. Dominic being so different, I just don't think it's fair. Um, so it doesn't work for me, brother, but uh, I get where you're coming from and I may have agreed with you in the past. Uh, Wrestling Minute, if you can go back in time and pull the trigger on one foreign monster heel, who would it be? Ludwig Borga, Vladimir Kozlov, Rusev, or other? Uh, I thought Ludwig Borga was a badass, but based on what we know of him now, probably not the way to go. Rusev uh, driving to the ring in a tank at WrestleMania made me believe in Rusev for sure. Uh, foreign menace heel. Um, honestly, Muhammad Hassan. I, I wish they didn't go all the way. Muhammad Hassan, when he was first created, was such a genius character because the whole idea behind what made Muhammad Hassan was that people were prejudiced against him for no reason, was that he was an American and he was treated poorly because of the color of his skin. And then they shifted his character and just, like turned him into a, an actual foreign menace. And the whole, Muhammad Hassan's character was like, to me, genius, because he was a heel, because he was perceived as a foreign menace, even though he wasn't. And then after that worked and he was getting booed, they just turned him into a foreign menace and lost all subtlety and all, like the whole thing. It was, it was a layered character and then it just completely got screwed up. So I would, I would, that's what I would redo, I think. Um, Shamo, bigger mistake, WWE not letting Paul Heyman run ECW in 06 or its own thing or TNA passing over Paul Heyman for Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. Um, I think that the reality is that there will never be an organization in WWE that is completely run independently. So it's just the way WWE is. It's brought us everything we love about WWE, so we can't really complain about it when we don't like it. So for me, uh, I would have loved to have seen what TNA looked like with Paul Heyman fully in charge. You know, Paul Heyman, uh, I mean, there was a reason, right? Like, Paul Heyman, it was being talked about as the uh, person who was going to take over as creative in TNA. The reason it didn't work out was, number one, he wanted autonomy, and number two, he's going to fire a lot of people. Right. This was like this was like right around the time of the main event mafia, maybe right right after, maybe if not during. And his idea was that he was going to fire every sort of known person from another promotion, except for like Kurt Angle. He's going to like an ECW. They had a roster full of people that were homegrown and then Terry Funk. And then you'd scatter somebody in. Right. You could maybe also have a Bam Bam Bigelow. You know, maybe Scott Hall is going to come in to do something. Maybe Sid Vicious is going to come in to do something. But the foundation of this company is you've got Terry Funk lending credibility. Maybe throw in a Bam Bam Bigelow. And then the rest of it is your guys. Shane Douglas, 
Raven, Sandman, Sabu, Mikey Whipwreck. You know, and that's not to say that they can't have worked elsewhere. But once they get to ECW, they're unique to ECW. Shane Douglas had worked everywhere. He's Dean Douglas. But Shane Douglas in ECW was not big because of other places he'd worked. He was big because of who he was in ECW. Raven was not big in ECW because he was Johnny Polo. Raven was big in ECW because he was Raven. The main event mafia in TNA was the main event mafia because they had been main eventers in other promotions. It wasn't because of the TNA main events. So I would have loved to have seen... And, and, and yeah, just because... You know, ECW, it never would have worked in WWE. But Paul Heyman having autonomy over TNA would have altered the course of wrestling forever, good or bad. I'd be most interested to see what happened there. Uh, I'm going to skip this one. It's long. Uh, skip this one. It's long. Uh, Nicholas, uh, you know what makes me mad? Tag team partners doing separate entrances. Uh, but I'm happy this week because MJF and Cole... Now the common theme song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Story is so cool. Speaking of tag teams, what is your favorite tag team made with wrestlers who weren't initially team players? For me, it's beer money. That's a tough question. Probably New Day. Right? Hard to go against New Day. Those were all solo acts. Weren't on the same page at all. And all of a sudden, they're a team. Probably New Day. Uh, Heather, hope you're doing well. I've been a fan of wrestling since I was little. Uh, I've been thinking about the current time we're in, especially with the writer-actor strike and how it's uh, setting up to be on par with the popularity of the Attitude Era. Uh, I also think that storytelling might actually be better now than it was back then, too. It's definitely better now. Uh, plus, allowing the opportunity for some very high profiles, yeah, 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 uh, return for visits because they don't have to worry about crossing picket lines. Yeah. Heather, I love the email. I'm going to get more deep into that. I think that'll be next week's thing when I talk about wrestling being hot. There's too much to get into there for the email segment. And so, unless I see something that jumps out at me, uh, Shango versus Gangrel is the topic of one email, the subject line. I love that. Um, let's see. Last one, Johnny McDonald, figure collecting. I've recently started collecting the WWE Ultimate figures. Do you prefer to display them in box? Or do you prefer them out of the packaging for display? Great question. With the ultimate specifically, you're not going to like this answer, bro. Two of each. The ultimates display so well showing the spines off on a shelf that one day that's what I want to put them all on a shelf with their spines out, but then I also collect them loose. Uh, if you're only going to do one, they're really great loose. I mean, here's I got Muhammad Ali and Cody Rhodes right here. Um just because they come with different facial expressions and, and hands and everything. You can put them in whatever poses you want. With the Ultimates, you can't go wrong. I get two of each, but it'd be expensive to go back and get all of them if that's what you're trying to do. Uh, don't forget to at least put a couple of bucks aside so you can get tickets to see Not Sam Wrestling live in Detroit, Michigan, August 5th, SummerSlam Saturday. Uh, get your tickets now at NotSamLive.com. We're going to be at the Detroit House of Comedy, only a block away from Ford Field, 5 p.m. on Saturday, right before SummerSlam. Presented by C4 Energy, by the way, my friends at C4. So get those tickets. Appreciate you all. See you on Monday, unless you're on Patreon, patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling.